This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Today we are sitting down with Casey Brooks, a legendary elk hunter who has arrowed over 80 bulls with a bow. He has hunted public land, private land. He is a stud. He's actually a farmer out of Washington State, originally from Oregon. Uh, he's hunted private ranches, public land. He's got it done on all instances, and he's he's very humble about it, but I'm going to pick his brain on how to kill big bulls, herd bulls, how to call, how to be quiet how to change tactics. And you know what? This guy has suffered some injuries in the past and still hobbles around and gets it done. Very inspiring. And he's just a solid dude. This is Casey Brooks, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. All right. So we got Casey Brooks on the podcast. Casey, thank you for coming on, dude. Seriously. It's an honor. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Cool. Well, guys, we're going to get right to it. So we're talking to a guy who's basically a farmer. 
in my home state of Washington. And that's about all I know besides the fact that he's killed 80 bulls with a bow. So, and that's not to impress you, but to impress upon you, the dude knows a thing or two about getting in tight with a bow and arrow. And we're going to gleam some information from him today. So without further ado, this is the Oak Shade Podcast, and we're talking to Casey Brooks. Um, how are you, man? You're down in Arizona? I am. I'm I'm in sunny Arizona, and it's not so sunny here. It's been raining and windy, and it's been screwing up my golf game. So I'm about ready to come home. If I'm going to be cold, I might as well be in Washington. No doubt. What part of Washington do you uh, farm out of? We have... Uh, we have a farm in uh, La Center, Washington, and then I've got ground in the Willamette Valley, and then my dad and my sister have ground over in Goldendale, Washington. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, our state does not get enough credit for how beautiful it is, and I talk smack mostly about our state because it sucks for hunting, but um, we live in a beautiful state, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, and the funny thing is, is, For the most part, I'm an Oregonian. I was born and raised in Oregon, and I still, I hunt a lot more in Oregon than I do in Washington for the most part, Um, but I do a little bit of hunting in Washington, just depends. I mean, it's amazing with 30-something bonus points is what, you know, 30-something points. I can't draw a tag in Washington. You're at 30? Yeah, I caught a guy trespassing that that poached a a two-point buck on our property, so he got a double whammy. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So for those listening, like in our state, if you like turn somebody in and get, um, they get convicted, you get what? 10 bonus points and points. And the thing is, is we heard the shot. I was in Goldendale. We heard the shot and I ran around there and the guy was blowing out of there. And my dad called me and said, he's coming off of, you know, this certain piece of property. And so dad was behind him and I caught up with the guy and I said, Hey, where were you hunting? And he said he was hunting on my neighbors. So he lied to me right off the get go, but that's okay. And then I looked in the back and he had a two point, little two point buck in the back and a three pointer better area. And I said, guess what, buddy? Um, the game warden's on his way. You lied to me about where you were hunting. Dad called me up and said the gut piles in the middle of our field. I said, okay. So anyway, I got 10 points out of the deal. Didn't do me any good. Can't draw a darn tag. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy, man. And you probably know some of the bigger names that, um, that have gotten the governor tags in Washington because there's no, like, make no mistake about it. We have some megas in this state. We really do have some big bulls, but it's really hard to get the tag. And uh, they reduced the tag allocations the last four or five years now. So your odds have gone down even more. Are you trying to pull an archery or a muzzy or? Well, you know, and I complain, but I, I really haven't applied a bunch. Uh, a lot of times I'm going for points just because, the uncertainty of where I'm going to have tags next. You know, I've got other things that I'm really looking forward to, but I got to get after Washington harder because, you know, with the wolf populations and everything else, I I want to get it while the getting's good. Definitely, man. And it doesn't look like the future longevity is doing great here with, you know, some of the studies that we've seen with the, the basically cats have crushed cats, bears, and wolves have crushed the, the fawn, you know, the fawn crop, if you will, the calf crop in the blues, which is kind of our, one of our better areas. Um, and there is no management plan for wolves in our state. And honestly, my crystal ball Casey is there's not going to be. No, I'm with you on that. I completely agree. And you know, I had this year, I had the opportunity, uh, the outfitter tag 
for the state of Oregon um, for the Mount Emily came available for, you know, for me to go hunt with, with one of my friends, that's an outfitter. And I passed on it. I passed on it. And I, you know, if he would have gave it to me for free, those top three, they're just not what they used to be. I'm telling people, I mean, I had 24 points a couple of years ago and I cashed in on the Winnaha and I, I might've went out one or two days in the Winnaha and I went to a general unit and I killed a 340 bull in a general unit in the state of Oregon instead of instead of hunting Winnaha. It was so horrible between tribal members coming over from uh, Idaho and hunting with a rifle during bow season to, you know, the spike pressure that's in there. I mean, there's just people everywhere. And it's just, it's not a quality hunt. So I I just go back to what I know, and, you know, and and I just went back to a public unit. And I mean, granted, that's the biggest, 340s biggest I've ever killed in that unit. That's a that's a big unit for that unit. It's more one of those units that if you see a six point bull, you should probably shoot it. But but I'm, I remember years back the Starkey Experimental Forest. <clears throat> they dumped uh, they dumped a bunch of elk like they always do, and they ear tagged them. And I had a bull show up on a private ranch over there that I've been hunting since 1982, and this bull showed up. And he, he was missing a second point on one side. And I kept trying to, you know, it's like a four point. So I'm trying to get my wife to shoot it. And then I'm trying to get my, you know, try to get my sister to shoot it. And then I'm trying to get all these people. To shoot. I didn't want to shoot it. And a lot of years went by, about eight years or something. And I finally killed that bull. And he scored 256 as an eight-year-old or something. He might've been eight or nine. He was 256. He was missing a second point on one side. And he had that ear tag in his ear so I could call and find out from the department where he came from. And he had traveled 70 something miles from Ex Starkey Experimental Forest and he landed on our ranch. And, and he just, I mean, to this day, I've got bulls with no second points now, you know, I, yeah. I wish, I wish one of those 350 or 60 bulls would have showed up there and, and bred all of our cows. That would have been okay with me. No, that's yeah. That's interesting. And um, one of my good friends, Jason Phelps, He's been getting that other Mount Emily tag, outfitter tag, and um, he's had to work for it. But he's had he hasn't seen what you know that place has historically produced, and it's pretty interesting, guys. The Oregon Washington border, they both have Blues Mountains, and they both have wolves in them, and there's no management plan on both sides, and we don't have a spring bear season on the Washington side, and we probably aren't going to get that back, although we're trying. Um, and my point of all that is, is, um, back, I got to hunt the blues in 2011. I drew an archery tag, um, incredible experience back in 2011, did see some wolf tracks back then. I did see a few, but, um, for the most part, the, the elk density, the bull cow ratio was insane. I had a great quality experience, but I got to tell you, man, I don't understand it. It actually baffles me to have a, a trophy, a limited quota area, but having spike and cow hunters come in there. And I'm not even going to go down the Native American tribal hunts that are going on there. I have witnessed guys shooting bulls from the road with rifles during archer season. It is their right, but I there's not a like, there's no management going on there. There's no, there's no rules really for them. or uh, It is what it is. And so it's just a... It's a damn shame, Casey. That's what I'm trying to say. It's a damn shame. But Phelps drew, um, he freaking drew a rifle, blues tag, in 2022 
with only 20 points. So 20 years and you're at 30 years. You got you're you gotta put in, man. He drew in 2020 or 2021, because 2022 he had Winnehaw. 2023, he's gonna have Mount Emily. He's got the outfitter tag, both the outfitter tags in the last two years that I passed up. So yeah, he scooped those, but he actually drew Washington, believe it or not. Inside. Oh wow. Yeah. Good for him. I was I was very not happy for him. I'm joking, but you know what I mean? Um, sure. And he, you know, there was, there was a 380 bull that did get killed, but it wasn't him. Um, he did see it for a second, but he did get a nice bull, uh, with his rifle, um, on that hunt. But anyways, I'm here to talk about you, man. So when did you, I got to learn. So I know you're a farmer. I know you got ground, your family it runs in your blood. Um, how long you been married? How many kids you have? That's the kind of stuff I want to kind of. Groundwork. Now, now you're putting me on the spot. I think I've been married 28 years. Okay. And I've got two boys. Uh, I went on my first date with my wife on Valentine's Day, you know, about 30 years ago. So Don and I've been together a long time. And when I first started dating my wife, she wasn't a hunter. Um, and I said, well, if you're going to hang around with me, you got to hunt a little bit so we can spend some time around each other. I kind of lean on about five to six months of hunting a year. That's about kind of pretty normal i hunt 30 35 days for turkeys with a bow and then the rest is all big game uh, or waterfowl so um and waterfowl i love to do it but it, with the big game hunting it's been i've been slacking a little bit and i'm i'm really honestly with my son bo brooks um bo's so into waterfowl i'm thinking about backing off a little bit on big game this year and then uh, spending a little more time with my son uh shooting some birds now, Bo, for those that don't know, I've met Bo once. I can't remember where, but he uh, he won the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation Pro Division last year, I believe. Yeah, correct? Elk, yep, in the Pro Division. Yes, he did. About time. Yeah, and he can also make vocalizations like with his mouth just for all sorts of – if you guys don't – I'll put a link to his son's Instagram. Check it out. Uh the kid's a legend, man. You got a little legend growing up there. You have to keep him tuned up, but I'm pretty impressed with that young man. Well, the thing that a lot of people don't understand about Bo, uh, he was born in 1997. He was born in February. The Portland Sportsman Show was going on, and I had a booth, and I was selling duck and goose calls, turkey calls, all that stuff. I had a little call booth there, and I had to leave that show, you know, to go see my son get born. And he's been around calls his whole life. He's, you know, Bo, Bo has been, he, and he's got an ear. When he hears the, a particular sound, um, he will work on it until he can make that particular sound. He gets it in his head and it does not leave until he figures it out, see? So, yeah, it, he's unbelievable. I, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated just listening to him and I lived with him and he tortured us with, with all those years of calling in the back seat and everywhere. His poor mother and his poor brother. Yeah, it, it was rough. But, you know, yeah. give the folks out there, you know, the top three units in Oregon are, are Winnehaw, Walla Walla, and Mount Emily. I've hunted all of them a number of times. I had Bo, who is extremely talented when it comes to calling elk. I had Bo over there for five days, and we called one bull into bow range in five days from September 23rd to, like, you know, the 28th. You know, and it's just amazing that you can spend that kind of time. I spent most of a season there in, in the in the Winnehaw one year, and I spent, you know, two weeks there, and I called in like nine bulls, and and I ended up 
leaving there one day and I went to a, a general unit in the state of Oregon and I called nine bulls in and a half day in, in there, you know, they were, and they were small bulls, you know, there were four points, five points, whatever. But, but you know what? I, I just love calling elk and I, I'm an elk hunter. Yes. I've killed some really big bulls, but I still just love to shoot, shoot bulls. If the best we can do is a 260 bull in a unit, then let's go shoot a 260 bull, you know? So that's, that's the spirit, man. That's the spirit. Uh, so when did you like, I don't know, I guess, I mean, I'm going to shoot you straight. Like, dude, when did you decide that like, I'm going to ch- pursue elk hunting um, more than your average guy. When did you start like figuring out ways to get on better land, better ground, bigger bulls? Um, you've killed, I don't know how many bulls you killed over 400. It's not really, I'm not really trying to stroke your ego. I'm just like, at the end of the day, you, you've killed some bulls that are at that top end of maturation They've survived the most amount of seasons. They've been hunted the most. Arguably, they're the hardest to kill regardless. Like, when did you get super serious about getting on that level and hunting that caliber of elk? Well, it just, you know, it started with Larry D. Jones and his, I think it was the Terminator elk call. And, you know, I get that. And then Wayne Carlton comes out with a really nice tube, you know, and I could voice bugle back in the day and and I could you know, and then I, I would like with a Terminator, I'd giggle with it. And then I'd grunt through his, a different tube, right. That was taped together. And I went, I went to Idaho and my dad and I were doing a, a job in Idaho. We were, we had a building that fell over on a piece of property up there. The Creek changed directions and it washed out and, and the whole bunkhouse fell into the Creek. So dad and I were up there rescuing that building with a crew. And in the evenings, dad and I, we'd, we go up the hill and and uh, we'd call elk, you know, just for something to do in the middle of nowhere. And it just, I got bit by the bug. It was like, wow, this is really cool. I mean, why would I want to sneak up on one when I can call him into 20 yards and bring him in on my terms? So I, you know, I hunted and, and I hunted, you know, like five pointer better bulls for a long time. And then it moved up to six pointer better. And then, and then I started figuring out that Arizona's got the best bulls, you know, I mean, for an average, you know, the better bulls uh, out there. So I started really concentrating on Arizona and I've, I've drawn Arizona a couple of times. And my, I think the first time I drew Arizona, I shot a 300 bull 301. And then the next time I drew, I shot a 413 on public land, self-guided. So, Oh my gosh. Wow. And it, and it was, that was my first 400 bull. And that bull came walking in. I was on my knees. I'd been in a horrible car wreck. Uh, I could hardly walk. And so what I would do is drive around and I'd locate bulls from the truck. And man, I'm telling you, a half mile was nearly impossible. But I'd get as far away from the truck. If I had to crawl, that's what I would do. And I'd get out there and I'd call that bull in and then move to the next one. This is about probably the ninth or 10th bull or something that I called in was that bull. And when he came in, I said, wow, really nice fronts. And then he started going sideways on me and good backs. I said, it looks good, but he was on my right. He was to my right and I'm right-handed. It's really hard to swing that direction. And lucky for me, the bull winded and he ran back the direction he came. My cow called, stopped him and popped him at 30 yards. And I walked up to the bull and I had no idea, but he had a 42 inch extra point coming out of his second. And uh, yeah, and it hadn't broke off. It was September 12th or something like that, or 13th or something. It was pretty early. He never would have made it through the rut with that point. But anyway, at that point, it's like, I can't believe it. I just shot a gross 400 bull. Now net that bull was missing a third point on that side. So he would have netted 378. So 
378 doesn't exactly tell you the whole story about that bull. You know, he's bigger than that. He's he's a great, great out. 25, 20, 20, 22 inch first, 25 inch seconds, you know, just really nice fronts. And and that extra point, man, I you probably could have heard me holler all the way from Oregon or Washington. You know, that's saying something, dude. Like you got in a horrible car accident. Dude can hardly walk yet undeterred going to find a way to make it happen for yourself like there's a lot saying about your personality right there and then um i hope you had help man getting that elk out after that shot i had to leave it right where it was sitting and it was it was about 200 yards or 300 yards or something off the white mountain apache uh, border the indian reservation border in unit 3c and uh that was back when 3c was really good and i drew that tag and it was 1997 and and uh, I shot that bull and I'm over there getting pictures. And then I hear a car coming and I lean down and I just, and the horns are popped up there. You know, he's it propped up for photos. His horns are sticking up in the air. And these two, two hunters drove right by it within 50 yards. I just laid down next to the stump and watched them drive by. And they just drove right on by me. And they never saw that bull. If it had been a bedded bull, they would have drove right on past it. Anyway, I went. Uh, one of my friends was hunting with uh, a local sheriff that was known for knowing where the elk were. So I went and got that that cop and I got um, a bunch of his friends and they came back and helped me. I had to leave that boat, that bull tag there and, and, and drive away from it. It was really hard to do, but they came back. I couldn't do anything. I mean, I smoked two discs in my back. I honestly should have gone to the hospital. Uh, but there was no way I had a unit three C tag. I'm going elk cutting. And to this day I have problems, you know, but it is what it is, man. I'm walking. I just go at my own pace and I don't get too deep in there. I'm not a, you know, elk shape. This is Casey Brooks. Not so in shape. I'm telling you, I, <laughs> I'm, I, I hunt smarter. I don't go 10 miles in. I don't, I don't do that kind of stuff unless I've got, if I was to go 10 miles in, I'd have to get rode in on a horse and then I'd have to have a plan for getting something out, you know? So I just hunt to my, my, my physical abilities. You know, Case, uh, one of my lectures that I do at my camps, uh, we do camps across the U.S. a couple a year. Uh, and I literally say verbatim, hey, this is the elk shape guy telling you that I don't go too deep. And I am very mobile and I believe in bouncing around, get in, get out. So I'm always looking for road systems. I'm looking for trail systems. I'm looking for little niche ridges to peek up over, night bugle, locate out. Like my deal is I want to be into as many elk as possible every day and just go. Th and I, so when people think of the brand elk shape, here's the deal. The dude, the elk shape guy just wants to be in shape enough to like be healthy to live a long time. So I can take my boy's boy elk hunting. As far as being physically fit to kill elk, I think it's mind over matter. You know, you can kind of hunt your way into shape, but I'm just looking for longevity, man. I just want as many Septembers as possible. And I'm sure you probably feel the same way. For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of country gets overlooked because these guys are pulling up, like I said this on other podcasts, anybody's ever heard one of my pod podcasts, a lot of guys will pull up and they go straight to the wilderness, right at the wilderness boundaries where I'll turn around and start checking out those pockets that are before the wilderness, 
you know, the opposite direction of where everybody's walking. Where do you think those bulls are going when they're walking in? They get in three miles and they start pounding on those bulls at three, four, five miles. You know, they're going to get out of where the pressure is. And typically there's not a ton of pressure right on the, right on the edge of the wilderness. So sometimes, you know, I can tell you this, and, and this is, you know, not against anybody that walks in deep because, you know, more power to you, you can do it. And at one time I was a tough, tough dude and I could get in pretty deep, but I, I kill most of the bulls that I, that I hunt. Most of them, I'm not far from the truck. I could, I could mostly hear the bulls from the truck that I'm going to go hunt. So, you know, and, and, uh, the, the, the long distance thing, you know, you know, I was passing a log truck. There was a car in front of me passing this log truck going through Idaho on that, on that 1997 hunt. And the, in the car, it was an Acura Integra sided brake stop in the middle of the highway while we were passing at six miles an hour. So I rear ended him and I shoved him out through a cow pasture since and it just, my F-350 was destroyed. We had to take it to Cedar City and tape it all together and put new front end in it and all that. But that wasn't going to stop me from, from shooting elk. I was popping a leave like they were candy. And, uh, you know, I, I don't regret it. Look at the bullet I I, I shot. And it, maybe it, maybe that slowed me down to make me a better hunter. You know, I can't, I can't get around like I used to. But, man, I'm still shooting sheep with a bow, um, shooting moose elk you know you name it deer you know i still get around it's just i gotta go at my own pace i could still go 10 miles in if i had to but if i shot something i'd be in trouble so you know it's just when you start loading down that backpack that really really brings me down so i just you know I, i'd love for people that are listening to understand there's guys out there like me that are just never going to be 25 years old again uh it's still possible to hammer on bulls and and all this stuff without having to go way 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 deep in there Mm, I feel you. Um, speaking of Arizona, you've had some tags, I'm assuming some Apache tags or something. Talk to me about some reservation hunts. Um, I kind of have a bucket list to get over there and just experience that. I'm, um, tell me a little bit about it. Like, what's the vibe? What's the experience? Um, what did you learn? What did you love? So with the Elk Shape Podcast audience, we want to let you know about all our partner discount codes or calls to action, save you some loot, get you some good gear. Kufaru, we finally have a discount code, Elk Shape 15, any purchase except for shelters. I run the hoodlum, Jake runs the hoodlum, get yourself the duplex light frame or the tactical. I have both. I would say the tactical is a little bit better for colder weather, whereas the skeletonized duplex light works a little bit better in early season like August and September. Discount code, Elk Shape 15. With the Vortex Optics discount code, you have to go to eurooptic.com enter the discount code ELK10. It'll save 10% off any Vortex glass. We also have a Vortex wear discount code, 20% off all Vortex wear for your scouting, date night, or workout gear. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE and it'll get you 20% off. Onyx Elite membership, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, it'll take 20% off. You will get the Elite membership, all 50 states, plus access to the digital publication from Hunting Fool. You'll also get a Hunt Reminder membership included, as well as Top Rut and other perks. Onyx has been in the game the longest. Take advantage. Next is NUMA Outdoors. That's the hunting clothing we wear in the backcountry. 
into the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off. MagView, this is the digiscoping solution made easy. The discount code is ELKSHAPE. It'll take 10% off. Get the A1 and the B1, definitely for your spotter and your bino. It pairs nicely, and uh, it's just a little magnet strip on the back of your phone. You don't have to have a silly phone case. Wilderness Athlete, new discount code for 2023. It is ELKSHAPE23. That'll knock 20% off. Look for the ELKSHAPE stack or the September stack. And ladies, the Mrs. ELKSHAPE stack as well. Black Ovis is where I get my gear. The discount code is ELKSHAPE. It'll take 10% off, fast and free shipping, and the best customer service. Black Rifle Coffee Company, whether you want to become a member and have the subscription to where coffee is delivered to your door in the cadence that you prefer, or you want some BRCC swag, coffee mugs, and even RTDs now, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE. Save 15% off anything at blackriflecoffee.com. Fatty Meat Sticks, a great, healthy, non-GMO, crappy, salty. No, this is the best tasting meat stick on planet Earth. Discount code ELKHUNTER gets you a little 5 to 10% off depending on what you buy. Check out Fatty Meat Sticks. Sheep Feet, orthotics for your feet. Discount code ELKSHAPE. Take 10% off your sheep feet. I have two pairs. I always have a pair in my boots and my workout shoes. I have high arches. That really helps. At first, I was a naysayer. Now, I'm a believer. Sheep Feet works really well for me. Could work really well for you. Put it in your boot. The Elk Collective, the number one digital elk hunting resource. You want to get going on elk hunting, you can practice and learn from others. So instead of listening to one person preach about how to elk hunt, it's an army of subject matter experts teaching their ways of hunting elk. Discount code ELKSHAPE podcast, all one word. We'll get you a discount to theelkcollective.com. Well, I've hunted the Havasupai, the San Carlos, and the White Mountain Apache Reservations. They're all really good elk spots. Um, very, very difficult to get on. There's a huge waiting list, and they're fairly expensive. Um, maybe maybe not so expensive compared to what I'm seeing tag sell for at the Hunt Expo and everything right now. I mean, things are changing. Um, but the wait list is the hard part with, with those reservations. Even knowing those people after I've hunted there many years, it's really hard to get back on those reservations. So um, I was I hunted the, the Havasupai twice, um, and I hunted the White Mountain from 1995 to about 2000, and then I hunted the San Carlos from about maybe a one, two, three, four. I don't I don't remember, and ended up. I was just thinking about that. 2003, I shot a bull. Yeah, that 03, I was in the Havasupai. So I might have been hunting two of them at the same time. But anyway, it's it's great hunting. They're bulls that are going in and out of state land. So like on the San Carlos, those bulls, will, you know, it's a cow fence. You know, they're going through that fence daily. Bulls are crossing that fence in and out. So, you know, that's something to think about. It's just like that 3C tag I was just talking about. Hunt smart. Those big bulls that are in there, they're limited pressure. Um, they're crossing that fence to go check those cows on the other side. And that's probably what that bull was that I shot in 3C. It was probably a bull that was coming to check cows, and I caught him out there all by himself. You know, one of my favorite, favorite times to hunt giant bulls, and I believe every bull is callable. Uh, a lot of guys will tell you you can't call big bulls in. Uh, I I beg to differ on that. I think that there's times when they're very difficult. I agree. But I think every elk can be called in. It's just you got to hit him on his day. And and for Oregon and Washington and Colorado and Idaho, all these places, if you got the opportunity to hunt these bulls around the 7th of September, they're just starting. That's when you're on these ridges and you're just starting to see these bull tracks that are that are searching. They're, they're starting to bugle. They're, they've got their, their velvet off for maybe a couple of weeks now. 
and they're starting to talk and man, they hear alcohol and they are, they are going to come running. So that is a really, really good time. And any earlier than that, you can still call them, you, you know, it still works, but if you're going to do it, you need to sit in one spot for about a half hour, like in late August, maybe uh, early, you know, first day or two of September, sit there for a half hour, uh, turn your hearing aid up. So you hear, and you're, you're listening for every twig, every rub you're, you're, he may come in silent and he may drag four or five bulls in with him. So that's how I hunt early is I just get into where I think there's bulls and I'm seeing rubs and I just sit there and cow call and then throw out kind of some small bulls, you know, bugles. And I wait and wait and wait. And when I feel satisfied, I've been there for a half hour or so and nothing showed up, then I'll move on. But a lot of guys will go in and they'll try it. You know, they'll call from one spot and then, then they just move on to the next early. That can be a mistake. I think, I think you're better off if you just spend a bunch of time there. And a lot of times they're just freshly rubbed five points and little six points that come walking in, but Hey man, if that's all there is there, that's, that's what you're there for. You know, no doubt, no doubt. So vocalizing big bulls, it's all about kind of timing your observations. And I guess I'm just going to dive into some weed questions because you're the guy, uh, big, big bulls, you know, who run big herds. Do you wait for them to like hook a single hot cow and take them away from the herd? Is that when they're susceptible or like, how are you negotiating lots of eyes and ears, big herd bulls, big herds, middle, middle sized herds, what have you talk us through the nuance of killing a herd bull using vocalizational tactics some of these places that i hunt the numbers are huge like 150 head elk in a herd 100 head 150 200 head and these bulls are walking through sagebrush and junipers and they can see a long ways okay so what i do is wait for those bulls to work their way up into the timber a little bit and i cow call my way in and get it within bow range and you got bulls you know bugling screaming and if a lot of times Going through the sagebrush, I've seen that there's a nice bull, like a 300 bull that I want to shoot, you know. So I let all the five points and smaller six points, just let them go through and follow those cows. Let the cows, I T-bone the herd is what I do. And I try to get towards the front of the herd so I don't miss anything. And once I'm in bow range, I'll kneel down, knock an arrow, and I won't say another word and just let them come up through there. And when that bull comes through, that's the one that I want, I'll pop him. Um. It, you don't want to, if you're within 30 yards, you don't want to start calling and give your location away. It's going to stir things up pretty bad. Um, when they're lined out, the odds are they're going to be on a trail. You know, they're lined out on a trail and they're, they, they're going to their bedding area and they know, they know where they're going. And every elk is going to follow those cows right up that trail. You know, they may be 10 yards one side or 10 yards to the other and they're going up through, you know, but they're going to be right there. And if that bull is the, the final bull that comes up through there that you're after, if he's 20 yards to the other side of the herd and you feel like the shot's too far, throw some cow calls out and start raking a tree. If, if you're not in, you know, if he can't see you and there's a good chance he'll pop over and check you out. Um, and you would prefer to do that if you could look down, kind of down below you as they're coming up through there and hit him with that. Don't let him get past you when you do that because the odds of him coming back aren't great. But if, you, if you're ahead of him, he'll probably just switch up a little bit and come over there. Cause he is the biggest bull in the bunch. You know, he's, he's used to running those cows around, but if you can ever find those bulls that have one cow, um, big bull like that'll 
go, you know, giant bulls like on the reservations or, or anywhere, big bulls will go in, they'll hook one cow, they'll take her up on a knob and they'll sit on a knob with her and there'll be three or four or five bulls around her just screaming all day long. And uh, the way I pop those bulls is I slide in cow calling and they're all bugling and screaming and the odds are some of those, uh, you know, smaller bulls are going to come in. You work your way up to that big bull. And I've talked about this in other podcasts. These bulls have what, what I call a comfort zone. So they've got a, a distance that they'll get away from their cows and feel comfortable about that where they're not exposing that cow to those other bulls and then they'll go back. So I watch these bulls and I see where his comfort zone is. Okay, he came out to that stump and now he's going back. He, you know, he just went 35 yards away from that cow and he, you know, and it's to that stump. I need to get within 25 yards of that stump. So I get within 25 yards of that stump and I cow call a few times, he bugles. And then I let out kind of a young bull, you know, scream at him. And more often than not, uh, he's not going to, you've got too close to him and he's not going to be very happy about it. And he'll come over there and, and uh, give you the what for. So um, yeah, that, that comfort zone's a big deal. You watch bulls when they've got a cow, they'll bed her down there. She'll bed down and there's only a certain distance that he'll get away from that cow. And uh, you got to kind of get to within shooting distance of that, you know, his, his comfort zone. That's the name of the game, I guess, then is to get, figure out what that zone could be. What would you say the average distances and yards where you've had the most success being in that bubble that they will not tolerate your presence? Well, if they got a cow like that, um, I kind of, you know, I kind of feel like that 35 yards, you know, he doesn't, he's not going to get that far away from her. Now I have, I have called bulls away from their cows and, you know, been told that you're not, you know, these are Roosevelt's. There's no way you'll ever call that bull away from his cows. And here he comes marching across the clear cut 200 yards and he leaves his cow behind, you know, all of his cows behind, you know, it just depends on the bull and his, his attitude. Um, but for the most part, you know, and that's, you know, the, the Rockies that I'm used to hunting, you know, and I've only hunted Roosevelt's, you know, a few times and Tule elk, same thing. Um, but all these rules apply to me, whether it's a Rocky, Rosie, Thule, I mean, they're all just elk and they all bugle. Um, they talk about the silent Roosevelt and they don't talk a lot, man, Roosevelt's get it. Roosevelt's if they're in their, the right frame of mind, they scream, you know, and, and, and they're, they're pretty pissy. So, but I don't know, getting back to your question, I think 35 yards, if he's got a cow and he's bedded down, or if it's a bedded down herd. You know, I've had 80 head bedded down before and slid into where I can't get any tighter. I know that I'm within shooting range of some of the edge, you know, the cows on the edge. And then I just sit there. And I mean, four hours later, I'm screaming that at that bull and I say the wrong thing or the right thing. And he gets up and comes, checks me out and I shoot him at seven yards. So it's a, it's a real big time patience. Okay. So when you, when you're working a bull, and he's got cows and or whatever. What's the ideal scenario for you? And I and I would prefer you to go off your rich history, time of day. Do you like to get in on these elk in transition from feeding to bedroom? Do you like to let them get into their bedroom, um, or you like the evenings when they, maybe they're they're getting up and they're staging to head to feed? Like historically speaking what timestamp have you had the most productivity? I, I typically will hunt the morning and I'll try and get that. I'll try and get on that bull as he's going up, you know, going, you know, cruising through a Canyon headed to the bedding area. 
And if I don't get on him, I'll back out. I'll circle, circle way around, and, you know, my truck, go several miles up the canyon. I know where they're going to bed. I get back up there. I start calling and you can hear him bugling down there. And when he gets up in there into his bedding area and he bedded, beds down, that's when I, I slide in. Typically, that's going to be, a, mm, I don't know, 10 o'clock type deal or something. You know, that bull's in there. He's comfortable. He's bedded down with all his cows. Like that one I was just talking about getting on the edge of the cows and shooting that bull at seven yards. That was like a 320 bull in Oregon. Um, I think I sat there in the sagebrush and on the edge of junipers, but I was in the wide open sun there for three, four hours. And, you know, it was super hot. I mean, it was warming up and, and, and yeah, I wanted to get out of that sun, but I couldn't move. I was right there where, you know, I was down in the sagebrush and I was right there where his cows were within 30 yards. And I couldn't do it. I just had to tough it out, but it, it paid off, you know, yeah. and then I, then I, I hammered that bull. And then now you got a hundred head or whatever it is taken out of there. Now I can't find his track. And my wife's like, you know, our boys are down there at the trailer. We probably ought to go check on them. I'm like, well, I just shot a bull. We got to find this bull. She said, well, we got to check on the kids. So we jumped in the truck and we started to, to roll out of there. I looked over and he was laying right next to the road right next to a skid road. I says, well, I think we're going to get this one out of the woods first. So yeah, I was going to run her down, drop her off and go back up and then, and then start searching. But when you got a hundred head, it's really hard to find tracks and, and sign, you know, I just got lucky. He was, he, he just trotted down the hill about 60, 70, 80 yards or something and piled up right next to the road. It was like, it was meant to be. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mm, I like that. Uh, one more elk story. I need to know about your... You smoked the Idaho bull. I don't know what year. It was recent. It was a big bull, and I kind of need to know the story. Well, there was two big bulls. I don't know if you saw okay. that, but I had two tags. I had the Idaho super tag, and I had another tag. And I got a, I was there once and didn't see what I was looking for. I ran to Nevada. I wasn't finding what I was looking for in Nevada, so I shot the morning I was there. I shot a 317 bull in Nevada. I loaded it up. And then headed back to Idaho. Hobie Gartner is a is a real good guy. He's a guide out of Idaho there. And Hobie called me and said, Where are you at? And I says, Well, I'm just coming back into Idaho. He says, he says, go to the lodge. He said, I just found a huge bull. And he says, I said, How big is it? And he says, I don't want to say. So I said, Well, just send me the pictures. He sends me the pictures. I'll say it for you. It's over 400. You don't, you know, you're right. It is. It's a big bull. It's over 400. So he heard about another bull as well that was big. So we went in that morning, that next morning, and 
this is to give, you know, as much as I call, um, we got on the very first bull and, you know, I was there, I was kind of timid, you know, I didn't want to screw things up and, you know, just a little quiet and, and Hobie says, Casey, what's going on here? You're not calling or anything. He says, what would you do on this bull? I said, well, I said, I'd slip up there within about 80 yards of him and I, or 60 yards as close as I could get. And I'd cow call a few times and he'd walk right through that lane right there. I'd sit down by this rock right here and he says, well, let's do it. I said, okay. So I get up there and I'm, I mean, I'm nervous. I don't want to screw it up. It's a public land bull. So I get up there and I cow called three times. The bull just rips. And, and I mean, I look back at Hobie and I says, okay, this is good. I cow call again a little bit and here he comes and he walks right through the shoot lane, but it was the wrong bull. So I said, okay, we got the wrong elk. I said, do you hear that huge fight going on up the mountain? He says, yeah. I said, that's our bull. And he's up there breaking points right now. He says, let's go. So we peeled out of there. We worked our way around and we worked together, you know, discussing what we thought would be best to get to where this bull was. And we slipped in there. And first thing we did when we stopped, we were within about 80 yards of the, what I would assume would be the big bull. We couldn't see him, but we, we knew we saw him before we knew right where he was at. Um, and Hobie, you know, we're listening. And next thing you know, we're here. You can hear this other bull glunking coming down the hill. And I says, oh, boy, listen to this. And he comes down there, and that other bull took his cows. And mm. next, you know, I haven't said a word. First thing I do when I stop, anytime I stop when I'm getting close to elk like that, is look for the shoot lane in case I have to drop down and, you know, you know, get down and cover up right where I'm at because things can happen quick, right? So I had already picked out the shoot lane. I looked up, and I could see tines coming, and I said to Hobie, here he comes. I dropped down on my knees and I picked that shoot lane that I had already picked. And the bull comes up to about 40 yards and Hobie whispers, it's him. And I says, okay, I never said a word to this elk. He comes walking down and he's going to cross through my shoot lane. And when he does, I come to full draw and he comes, it steps out into the shoot lane and I cow called and he turns straight at me and starts walking right to me. And I cow called again or whatever and stopped him at 25 yards, shot him straight on. And the bull ran down the hill about 50 yards and piled up. And he had broke part of his second point off. Um, and I think there's pictures on my Instagram of that bull. Uh, he has 26 inch third point on one side and 24 on the other, which man alive. Wow. You know, if people complain about short thirds. That's the bull that you want to do the breeding right there. And I just ruined it. But anyway, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> So, you know, with my back the way it is, we, we, you know, Hobie and another guy helped me get it all out of there. They did most of the work and I did what I could do. I took my shirt off because I didn't want to get all dirty and I got sun. I mean, I got really sunburned bad. And we got back to the moat or back to the lodge and they said, grab your stuff. You're going on that other bull. And I said, what? And they, I said, we got cold water for you and some food in the truck. You're ready to go get out of here. So we went out to the next spot and the next spot had sagebrush. It was about 18 inches tall. Now that bull, first bull was gross 405. It netted 399 and like change. It's got another part of a broken point. We found part of the broken point, three inches of it. And then there was another part of that that's still up there somewhere. Maybe a, maybe Hobie's son and I will go up and look for it because he likes to look for arrowheads and everything. He's, 
low to the ground, he'll find it, you know? So we might go look for that point sometime just for something to do if I'm in that country. But we left there after we found the point, we heard the fight and we went down and found where the fight was and found the broken point. And we left there with the bull all quartered, everything's all done. We get to the house, they throw me in the other truck. We went out there and the sagebrush at this next spot was only about 18 inches high. And these elk were coming off a rim and they're coming down through these trails and they're going to an alfalfa field. And I can see, you know, you can see these just trails. They look like caribou trails in the tundra. And I said, okay, they're gonna probably come down this trail right here. Let's break some of the sagebrush and build it up a little bit where we're not out in the wide open here. And maybe we'll get it stand a chance. So I start calling at this bull and he's just ripping up there and we can't see him. Then finally his cows show up and the bull shows up. It was a seven by seven. And the bull works his way down through there. Um, and I look over at him and I said, how much time do we have? We're getting close. And he says, eight minutes, Casey. And I said, okay. And so I got an arrow knock. The bull's getting close. He's like within 40 yards and he's following these cows. And the bull, stupid bull turned around and went to chase like a three-point bull or a spike or something off. So now I lost a little bit of time. And then he turns right around. He starts coming back. And I cow called and he was at 30 yards and I popped him and that bull scored 380. So in, in, you know, in the morning hunt and the evening hunt, I shot a 405 and a 380. Now you think everything's about that score. You know, you think, okay, I would have shot the 405 bull. I've got both of them on my Instagram. I've got them in each hand. My, my 380 bulls in the right hand and the left hand is the 405 as I remember, but it's easy to tell one is the 380 bulls much heavier that 380 bull weighed seven pounds. His horns weighed seven pounds more than the 405 bull. So the mass wow. is, yeah, just incredible. The score doesn't tell you the whole story on that bull either, but he's a giant, you know. So that was my probably my best day of elk hunting ever right there. Wow, then I picked the right one to ask about. That is so incredible. I don't know if you could – I don't know. I'm speechless, man. I'm speechless. Um, I have to ask you about archery because archery elk – archery setups and i it's just undeniable when you're talking to someone who's put this many bulls on the ground the level of experience you're talking three four five six ten lifetimes of elk hunting experience in one dude so i'm not trying to pump your ego up man i'm just trying to sh spit straight facts like dude knows what has worked for him would you please break down your best practices for archery setup the bow specs all the things arrow weights poundage that you find to be valuable and have worked well for you? Okay. To start with, you know, I shoot for Hoyt and I have since like the eighties. So I want something that's dependable and that's why I shoot a Hoyt. There's a lot of really good bows out there. And most of the bows that are out there nowadays are delivering great energy. Um, you know, so it, whether you're a Matthews guy or a Hoyt or bear, whatever you're shooting, um, these current bows are, are shooting, you know, pretty fast, pretty hard. Um, in the eighties, when I was running Wendy Lindy's archery shop in the eighties for Chuck, when he was at work, um, I was drawing bows every single day that were between 80 and hundred pounds. Okay. Um, all day long. And that's because back in the day we had to shoot 24, 13s, 25, 12s, 22, 13s with an overdraw, heavy poundage, everything we could do to get up to that, you know, 240 feet per second or whatever, you know, they were just not as efficient. Um, the bows nowadays, every single bow that I ordered from Hoyt is custom built for me at 65 pounds, 29 inches. 
And I'm, I'm right-handed. I shoot a 29-inch, 65-pound setup. And I shoot it at 65 for everything. Now, I've, I've, I've shot everything in North America with a bow. Grizzly bear, polar bear, brown bear, all the sheep, all the moose, the caribou, all of it. And 65 pounds is, is, my, is my poundage. And I think part of that, part of what's behind that is the great broadhead that I use. I, I, sh I typically shoot Easton uh, ACC 371 arrows, which is a fairly heavy, you know, it's a little stiffer spine than I need for, you know, for my setup. But the broadhead that goes on that arrow uh, is a huge game changer. And I'm shooting, I shot Rocky Mountain Titaniums for years, okay? They quit making the Rocky Mountain Titanium 100. It's a three-blade fixed head. They quit making it years ago. When I found out they quit making it, I bought 50 dozen of them. And they're very hard to find and they're hard to, hard to get. But the good news is, is True Glow started building the Titanium X, which is exactly the same head. It's extremely sharp. It still has a titanium point, but it's an inch and three sixteenths instead of the original was an inch and an eighth. That works fabulous up to 60 yards. I mean, I, I can control that or plenty far enough to shoot anything, you know, deer, elk, you know, and what I love about having 60, 70, 80 yard pins, um, I'm shooting that option site now, I've, I've, uh, Dan Evans. And what I love about, you know, that is if I, if I get in on a situation and I shoot a bull and I'm not happy with the shot and the bull trolls out to 80 yards, I can dial my site down to 80 and I can hit him again. Okay. If all I have is a 40 or 50 yard pin, I don't have that option. So it's very nice to be able to, to, you know, just, you know, grab that thing and swing it down. And I've only had to do that on a couple animals, but it was very nice to have the option when I, you know, when I needed it, it was there. It wasn't guesswork. So, you know, I'm not perfect. I can make a bad shot too. So you hit a paddle bone, you know, you hit it a little far back, things happen. You hit a twig, you know? So I think, what I'd like to say is, and I'd love to let everybody know, anybody, whether you've been bow hunting for years for elk or you're just getting into it, um, you don't need to shoot 100 pounds. You don't need to shoot 80 pounds. 65 pounds with a nice sharp broadhead is just wonderful for deer, elk, moose, all of it. it. It's great. And in the end, you'll have shoulders. You know, I'm 58 years old. Um, when I fly somewhere, my shoulders fall asleep while I'm on the airplane. I got to start moving my arms around and get my shoulders to wake back up. I abused my shoulders when I was young in that archery shop and I wouldn't change it. But if I could, if I could save any body part on a, on these young guys that's out there, man, your shoulders, if you want to bow hunt for the rest of your life, just take care of your shoulders now because you will pay later. Yeah. There's this uh, company that I kind of work with. Not really. I just, I just stand behind them. They're called crossover symmetry. And they got these band sets that they sell and they have a little protocol sheet that comes with it. And man, I'm out there doing my crossover protocol a couple times a week. It's a pain in the ass, but I do it and it's really bulletproofed my shoulders and shoulders are funny, man. Like ball and socket, like you've cut, you take a shoulder off an elk. You're not going through bone, right? You're just going through a capsule. And so I would recommend, man, you should take a look at crossover symmetry, get a set of bands and do that a couple times a week. So you're, and just see if that doesn't make all the difference in the world. Um, they're a small little company, 
but I'll, I'll have to text you the link. Pretty cool stuff. I do that a couple of times a week. All right, man. So farming, farming's in your blood. What are you guys farming? I have to know. I got to know a little bit more about like this blue collar tilling up the ground. What are you guys growing? I love, I would love to hear about it. Yeah. What, what we, what we grow, uh, we're just hay farmers. So, you know, some alfalfa, I planted some alfalfa. Um, you know, we're looking at kind of on the west side, Don and I have, we have local grass hay on the west side. On the east side, you're looking at orchard grass, maybe Timothy, beardless barley. Um, I plant some corn, you know, but we're just a family operation. And I think that between my father and my sister and I, we have leaning, leaning on probably 5,000 acres. So when you have this farm ground like that, you got to do something with it. I'm not a farmer. I was born in Portland, Oregon, but you know, we've moved out to farms and, and you gotta, you gotta do it. And honestly, we're a family that likes to work. And so uh, we get after it all summer long. And then when it comes time to play, we play, we play hard. Okay. Do you guys, are you guys just selling this hay to cattle companies? Uh Cattle, horses, everything, it's sold as fast as it hits the ground. So, in, gotcha. you know, you know, there's people already calling, uh, putting their name on the list for this next year. So um, Don and I don't like to store hay. Uh, I would rather be playing golf in the winter in Arizona than bucking hay. So we try and sell out. The east side farm, it's not as easy for those guys to do that. My nephew is still selling hay right now. But when you're talking about, farm in a couple thousand acres that's a lot of hay you know so he's he sticks around he, he waterfowl hunts and he sticks around and he sells hay all winter so that's what he's doing now yeah dude well when it comes to elk hunting it is definitely we something we bring up at our camps is being fiscally fit and everybody's hunt budget is relative to you know their means you got a hell of a hunt budget, man. Like I, I gotta, I'll shoot you straight. Like I'm, I'm like kind of blown away. In fact, like how much you get to hunt and the places you get to go. Am I jealous? No, I, I just think I'm like you. I just try to hunt as much as possible, and I think you'd be happy hunting public land as much as you'd be hunting the Apache or whatever reservation. Like I get the vibe that, dude, you're just a hunter. And so I can relate to that. I can just relate to that a lot. But what's your advice being 58, been around the block a time or two, to maybe these young guns out there who um, maybe they're in their 20s. You know, my analytics show that a lot of my listeners are between 24 and 44 years of age. I'm 41. Um, what's, what's your fiscal advice for these guys, how to set up a hunt budget proper, um, and maybe a philosophy take on, you know, you only live once. You can't take this money with you. Like, how do you kind of set up a hunt budget for these young guys? What's your advice? You know, I'm a farmer, but I'm also retired. I don't have to work, but I do work because I'm that kind of guy. I want to work, you know, six, seven days a week. I play hard enough that I feel like I want to, when I get away, I, I want to do a good job of it. I don't want to have things at home lingering on the farm which my wife is pretty good. If she's not elk hunting, she's pretty good about handling everything on the farm when I'm gone. So I've made, you know, I'm an investor and a farmer and I've, we've made some really, you know, some sound investments and we've made some pretty bad ones. Okay. You know, it's, <laughs> kind of, 
it's a hit and miss type of deal. I'm fortunate enough now at this point in time in my life where I can hunt just about anywhere, but that could all change tomorrow. And if it all changes tomorrow and I go back to working for a trust company, or if I'm just working on our farms and that's the income I'm going to have, I'm going to do the very best. I'm going to make sure everything's taken care of with our family first and all of our bills. And if there's anything left over, you know, I've got hunting partners that hunt with me that were making, you know, back in the day, we're making $20,000 a year and still going caribou hunting with me, you know, I mean, still booking trips and these guys are shearing Christmas trees or, you know, doing side jobs to make sure that they can have a little bit of, you know, mad money uh, to make sure that they can go do the things that they love to do. And I, you know, I think that that's a pretty awesome thing. It just, it depends on how bad you want it. Um, do you want to go to Starbucks every morning or Dutch brothers or whatever and spend six or eight, but I don't drink that. So I don't know, but six or eight bucks or whatever it costs for one of those things every day. You want to say, you know, I'm going to back off this summer and save that money and put it towards my elk hunts. You know, it just depends how important it is to you. But the good news is for the guys that are, you know, back East or whatever, thinking about doing their first elk hunt or what have you, the elk tags are not that expensive. Colorado's got elk coming out of its ears and it's not that expensive. And you can go do a DIY type thing in the, in the, in the forest, you know, and, and, and get in there about four or five miles if you can, uh, you know, find a way if you, if you're, if you can't do it shape wise, then maybe hire someone to ride you in and drop you off and come get you in a week. Um, but if you just get away from the roads a little bit in some of those places in Colorado, uh, I think it could be pretty darn good. Now it was the last time I hunted and it's been years, but a lot of people go to Colorado elk hunting. You know, there's no doubt about it, but they're still out there and there's lots of them and there can be some pretty big ones. But for the most part, I think when I think of Colorado, I just think of going elk hunting, having a good time, shooting a nice bull that walks in and, and field cornering him and getting him to the, getting him to the locker so we can eat him. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know, I know there's huge bulls. Oops. There's somebody just hit the house with a golf ball. Uh, so. Um, Anyway, so it's a Colorado's Colorado's pretty neat place. And I just don't think that it's, it's not um, out of reach for anybody. If you put your mind to it, uh, drive to Colorado, you know, get a tag, drive to Colorado. And then, you know, obviously you just keep coming, coming West. You, there's lots of places to hunt. Um, I, I, Montana. Oregon, Washington. Now, Oregon has changed a lot, and there's a, a lot that's a, a draw now, so you kind of have to plan ahead a little bit to draw some of the units. They're tightening it up a little bit. Um, Washington is pretty hard to hunt unless you draw one of those premium tags in Washington, right? Um, yeah. You know, you can hunt Roosevelt's in Washington late, I believe, but I've never done that. Have you done it? No, I kind of stick to my side of the state for the most part. Yeah, yeah, pretty smart, you know, mm -hmm. but but there's a lot of opportunity out there and it's not out of reach. And, and a guy just needs to do a little research, figure out where you kind of want to go. And you know, that the last time I hunted Colorado was quite a few years ago, but um, I got into a, I was on a little private piece that we, we made a deal on. We had a trailer and maybe only a few hundred acres of private, but I ended up shooting my bull back then. I was 20 something years old, you know, or whatever. And I ended up going, probably four or five miles up a main trail that people ride horses on. And then I started getting into elk over on that side. And 
I didn't even shoot it on the private. I ended up on the public way, you know, quite a ways in, but I don't know. There's, there's a lot of opportunity out there without having to spend a ton of money. Mm, I love that case. Uh, you're 58. I'm, I'm 41. So obviously like back in my day, if I, if I, you called to get a hold of me, you'd have to call the, the landline at the house, uh, which made things interesting when you're like 12 years old and you want to call a girl. Good chance her dad's going to answer the phone. Um, kids have it so easy now. But um, I want to get your your perspective. i only got a couple questions left for you. This is kind of one of the last ones is like, you know, with technology and everyone having a phone in their hand and, and social media. And I want to know, what do you think has changed with elk hunting in even just the last 20 years? And what has not changed just from your point of view? You know, what's changed a lot in my mind is with the internet and the access, you know, and all these, oh, you know, there's there's a lot of information out there. Let's just put it that way. That's getting put in people's laps. You can't hide a unit anymore. You know, like the Metolius for deer for years, it was kind of a secret, but the Metolius is no secret anymore. Everybody knows about it. And of course it's shot out and, you know, it's cougared out and the deer are way down in there now, but um, you can't. It's really hard to keep anything a secret. So if a guy just explores around on the internet and figures some things out, everything is there. And that makes it more difficult nowadays, I think. And I think the calling has changed. I think, you know, if I would have went in the Winnaha 15 years ago, I, I would have called a lot of bulls in. You know, in the Winnaha, if I was to go there in the 15th of September this year, I'd probably hear 30 bulls a day but not probably call one in 15 years ago, you know, the calls, the calls have really changed. The people are getting way better at it. 15 years ago, I bet it had called two or three bulls in a day in that spot. So things are changing, you know, and you just got to be able to adapt. If you can figure out that the bulls are screaming, but they're hooking and booking and they're not playing your game, then just change up your game, shut up and slide in there and pop him, you know, just change, just change it up. I, I don't typically shoot bulls that I, you know, that I haven't called in, but in the last couple of years I have, you know, I have shot a couple that I didn't, didn't call in. I just sat there quietly and next thing you know, it worked out. So Randy Omer would be, you know, a huge example of that. Randy slides in, he never calls and, and gets in tight with the bull and the bull makes his mistake and Randy, you know, pops him. So Randy never calls. We're just total opposites that way. I think it's cool to know both playbooks. And uh, Randy wrote an article. He penned one so long ago, back when magazines were cool, called Run Silent, Run Deep. And I definitely have utilized a lot of his tactics for sure. Um, Personally, on public land, um, the bigger the bull, the less I call or not at all. Um, And then if I'm calling for somebody, you know, it's a good chance we're going to call in a rag bull. It just depends on what they're looking for. Um, last question for you on this podcast episode is, look, man, you got a couple boys. Uh, you've all kind of a long time. Like, What kind of like um, parting words or legacy vibe would you give to your sons um, that you're hoping that they'll instill into their sons uh, for one of the day that you're not on this earth anymore? Boy, that's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Um. As always, you know, my boys, if you meet my boys and if you get around Bowie, he's very respectful. Um, and 
I think that uh, being respectful to other hunters uh, is a huge thing. And and one thing that one thing you see on the internet right now is you see a lot of bashing. You see a lot of people behind the keyboard that are fellow hunters that are that are getting after other hunters because they didn't do things exactly the way they did, or they're you know. I think hey, you know we got we got to we got to all be we got to all be in this together, and let's let's spend our time fighting uh, the people that are trying to take it away from us, not each other. So I would think, you know, just be respectful to each other. Um, I know in the state of Washington, we lost a right a few years back that was to, to bait, um, to bait deer, to bait elk or what have you. Whether you do it or not, that's, that's up to you. But there were a couple of hunters that decided they didn't like that, and they pushed very hard. And in the state of Washington now, you can only bait with 10 gallons instead of being able to pull up and put whatever you think you need, because you might not be back there for two weeks, right? Um, there are things out there that I don't agree with in hunting, but I'm a hunter and I'm not going to take that right from a fellow hunter just because I disagree with that. So no matter what your opinion is, think of the overall picture and let's not take from each other, um, you know, just because you don't believe in baiting, that's your business. Somebody else might. Um, and. Uh, just stick with what you do and, and stick together. And honestly, it, I will fight for things for my fellow hunters, even if I don't agree with, them. and that seems stupid, but it's a right. And I don't want to see our rights taken away from us. So I'd say just be respectful to other hunters, consider it, you know, and just remember we're all in this together. Well said guys, check out Casey Brooks. I'll leave him uh, a link to, like I said, his boys and his Instagram. His is at CaseyBrook65. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Um, Casey, thanks for literally taking a text from a stranger and getting on this podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed your time, and I appreciate you coming on here while you're on vacay. Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, it was truly my pleasure, and and I, I'll apologize in advance for my Instagram. Guys, I'm not a social media guy. I do it a little bit. You know, I, I really kind of do it just to spy on my son and see what my son's up to. That's the only way with him living in Kentucky now that I get to see what he's up to. So, you know, there's some things on there that'd be kind of cool to check. There's a mountain lion that while I was elk hunting, I called in. If you look kind of deep on the Instagram, you'll see this lion walk up to 12 yards and I pop in. Um, you know, but it, I'm, I'm just not one of those guys. I don't post every day. I'm If I'm busy hunting, I don't have time to do it. I just, I'm, you know, so I'll apologize in advance. And uh, all I can say is I wish everybody, I don't care if you're hunting jackrabbits or whitetails or mule deer or elk or whatever it is, have a great season and be safe. Uh, you know, I wish you all the best. Man, that's awesome. Uh, fellas, gals, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one.